Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. Some of you may have seen the story that owning a dog gave you a 27% chance of living longer. Some of that was related to the exercise of walking the dog, some to companionship and to the basic human-dog bond. But suppose the reality was much deeper than that. Suppose dogs could be diagnosticians and even healers and even protected us from the onset of certain symptoms. In fact, they can and many already do. That's our focus today as I'm joined by my guest, Maria Goodevich. She's a veteran journalist and New York Times bestselling author. And it is my pleasure to welcome Maria Goodevich back to this program to talk about her newest work, Dr. Dogs, how our best friends are becoming our best medicine. Maria, thanks so much for joining us. I'm happy to be back. Thank you. Well, it's great to have you here. One of the things that's so remarkable about all of this is that we even, you know, to this day, we keep finding out new things about our relationship with dogs, about their abilities, about the the positive aspects of our relationship with them, that, that this learning curve seems to be ongoing. Yes, in fact, we are at a really exciting time right now with this learning curve because we are just uh, kind of on the cutting edge. Dogs are actually on the cutting edge of this whole new way of looking at how, how we interact with them medically and how they can, by virtue of their noses, which anybody know, who has a dog knows how powerful dogs' noses are, they have been able to sniff out so many diseases that we've asked them to, to sniff out for us. And it seems like if something has a scent, a smell, no matter how much we don't believe it smells, a dog will be able to detect it with the right kind of training, with that really positive training that they're getting around the world. I was able to go around the world and, and see a lot of this firsthand, and it resulted in this book, which which I just I just love. Everybody is doing this in a, it's a, it's a, just to me, it's such an exciting time. We're just at this precipice where dogs are making a difference in lives, and it's just the beginning. And where around the world is the cutting edge of this? Is it here? Is it in other countries? What did you find in that regard? It's, it's sort of all, all over the place. Um, there are a couple of places in the United States that are doing this great work. Now, we'll talk, in this, in this sense, we'll talk more about the, um, when dogs are used in research, because um, it's on around the world in universities and some laboratories, and just to expunge any terrible images yes. of beagles locked in cages, these are not the kind of dogs. We have uh, right. dogs uh, all over the world who are usually pet dogs or foster dogs who come in for a day and they sniff out things like cancer, Parkinson's disease, uh, some superbugs, and malaria, and they get lots of treats and rewards for it, and they love it, and they get lots of love, and then they go home. Dogs love to work. So uh, what I would say uh, probably one place in England called Medical Detection Dogs is doing the most of this kind of work. They are getting hired out by universities uh, in the United States and Canada and, and throughout Europe and even Japan actually now to to use their dogs to sniff out whatever diseases they're they're looking at smelling and of course cancer is the big one dogs have been found to be able to sniff out a number of different cancers though everything every cancer that the dogs have been presented they've been able to detect and this isn't just these aren't just uh, tumors from from people in uh, at the University of Pennsylvania, for instance. They are looking at marion cancer and if dogs can detect that. 
dogs can, and they have been able to detect it at early stages, which is really exciting. And we are talking blood. They're detecting it in blood, but not just blood, the plasma of women with ovarian cancer, and not just a whole bunch of plasma, but they have taken it down to as little as one drop of plasma, and actually they've mixed that drop with saline and taken one drop from that, and the dogs are able to detect that among other um, among something similar from women with, say, a benign ovarian tumor, and other they go around something called a scent wheel, and it looks like a mini carousel, and the dogs sniff around, and they go around this, and they alert where there's cancer, and it's just incredible that they can sniff out something so small, and the reason for having such a minute amount of whatever they're detecting is because they're working with technology. So the the dogs are probably not going to be in your doctor's office in the back room. Uh, this is just a beautiful stage in the development of of a technology which is supposed to be rapid and non-invasive and um, and really accurate in the future scientists are saying, hey, dogs, what are you smelling? What does cancer smell like to you? And they're using their scientific technology, GCMS, and, and it's a chemical analysis technique, and feeding it back to the dog saying, are these the molecules they're smelling? Are these the molecules? And the dogs will say yes or no, ostensibly. And they're working on uh, creating these devices that will be specific to the compounds that are the volatile organic compounds that the dogs are smelling on cancer. So it's really exciting. And I have skin in this game because we have a family history of over cancer. So if dogs can be involved in, you know, they're really our best friends there, if, if they can be involved in creating this kind of technology, it's, it's just wonderful. And talk about the ways in which the dogs are able to communicate to us what it is that they sense in, in these various tests. Well, they're, the dogs don't get a whole bunch of different cancers. They are on a study, like um, in Japan, I went to Japan, and they were doing a study on stomach cancer in this remote village, which is so bucolic and yet has this terribly high rate of stomach cancer. And the people there wanted to have sort of a screening study done. They, and the dogs in that case were just sniffing the urine from the people uh, who, have, you know, who do or don't have stomach cancer. So in each case, the study is just about that kind of cancer. So it brings up the question, do dogs, uh, do dogs sniff one scent for all cancers? Is there one common scent or does each one have its own scent? And that will, that's something that the best researchers don't know yet. And everyone's scrambling to try to figure that out because this, the diagnostics could vastly improve once once we know that and the way they alert the way they tell us is usually by just sitting and staring mm. at the sample so it's it's very cute some some try to paw at it but that's discouraged some will lie down and some will just stand there and stare the trainers all know each dog's uh, each dog and what their change of behavior is and talk about whether there are specific breeds that are that are more talented at this or is it a wider range talk about that yeah, well, you will see a lot of Labrador retrievers, and the reason for this is partly because, you know, they've been trained to use their noses through for hundreds of years, But um, and the biggest reason, though, is because they love food. They love rewards. They love to play with the ball, and this training is all reward-driven. It's food, they get little treats, or they get a ball, and they will work so hard for those treats and the ball and the praise. Other dogs as well, though, this I've seen everything from Pomeranians 
uh, up in in Washington State. They're sniffing out Parkinson's disease. Big, huge German shepherds, the most fluffy, giant German shepherd in at the University of Pennsylvania, and uh, and uh, some really mixed breeds uh, spaniels in England, and uh, a Belgian Malinois, for instance, in the Netherlands. So mm. it can be almost any breed. The ones I haven't seen are the the pug-like dogs, the ones with the pushed back noses. Mm. I don't know if that's um, maybe a, something about their sense of smell or just I haven't run across those. But if a dog is reward-driven, food-driven, uh, the dog and pretty focused, the dog could very well be a good scent detector, as many people whose dogs have alerted to them in their homes when they didn't realize that they had cancer can attest to. Mm-hmm. I've got a few of those anecdotal stories in my book, but mostly my book um, is about the harder science. Right. And, th- and, there's e- and there's even talk about using these dogs at airports to uh, sniff out any diseases that might be coming into a particular country. Yeah, right now, in fact, in, in um, somewhere in Africa, I think South Africa, um, they're just starting a pilot study with dogs who were trained in England on the scent of malaria in children's socks from the Gambia. Mm-hmm. And some of those children had malaria and some didn't, and the dogs could tell. And so now those dogs know what that smells like, and they're just starting this pilot study um, at an airport. So, so we'll prevent a country with a lower rate or non-existent rate of malaria from getting people who have malaria in and you know thereby maybe spreading the disease and getting you know it's just mm-hmm. it's a great first step in this and then if a dog stops someone then they'll just get a further test but it's a, a way of rapidly screening a lot of people so that that's being looked at for even maybe even preventing um, epidemics from becoming pandemics in the future. In very, very early stages, though. So um, they're, they're even talking about that with Ebola in some in some remote uh, uh, science realms. But that's not you know anything in the reality right now. But the potential is there for so much and for stopping superbugs. For instance, there's a dog in. Vancouver named Angus, and now he has a few pals working with him. Uh, he <laughs> sniffs out the terrible bacteria, uh, C, well, it's terrible in some cases, C. diff, Clostridium difficile, and that can spread in vulnerable populations and be deadly sometimes and cause great illness. So he is able to stop it in its tracks in hospitals, and now he's been so successful in these hospitals in Vancouver that there are a few uh, new dogs and they're doing this, and it's really a great program. But I think in my book, the, 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 what sticks out the most, it, despite all this exciting science and everything, and people love that, are, are the stories of the people who themselves are currently being helped by the dogs. Those who have diabetes, whose dogs can smell ahead of all their technology, maybe 15 or 20 minutes ahead when they're going to have a low blood sugar. And then the person can test and indeed see that, yes, the dog is right, and I'd better um, get some glucose or eat something and before their monitor so they're that much more up on it. Some dogs even wake up from sleep to tell their person they're going to have a low blood sugar. It's, it's incredible. And seizure alert dogs and is that all, are being used. Is, is that also by scent, or is there some other instinctive mechanism that's going on in those well, cases? Well, they're, they're training them by scent. So it is definitely by scent. Now, there may be something else at work as well. There may be something with body language we don't detect, maybe a change in our chemistry we don't detect that they haven't trained the dogs on. It could be a number of things. It could be increase in sweat or anything. And it's the same with seizures. They're being trained now on the scent of seizures, and it's working. 
But dogs have often self-trained uh, for seizures. They've been known to, when they're even pet dogs, have been known to start getting anxious 10 or 15 or more minutes before someone has a seizure. And so that person learns to read that behavior, and when the dog starts whining and pacing, they realize, oh, okay, I'd better sit down or you know, take my medicine or you know, call my loved one or something because the dog has has this ability to do it maybe a scent only, but it may be a lot of different changes that, that we're not aware of. But the dogs, you know how dogs watch us all the time. Mm -hmm. They're always watching us, and they're so observant, and there's so many more um, senses at work than we probably realize. But we are, people are training them on the scent, and that seems to be working really well a lot of other diseases as well. What else would we like to understand about this? How could it be applied to, to technology, for example? What, what can we learn from what the dogs are able to do that might have a, a larger scientific context? Well, just as I mentioned with um, early cancer detection, mm -hmm. we may one day we may be able to just breathe into a tube um, at the doctor's office and it can check for all the VOCs for various cancers or the one specific cancer that runs in your family and you're good for another year. It's non-invasive. It's completely inexpensive. That's the goal is inexpensive and you know, something that you're not going to have to have gobs of tests for, at least initially. Um, so that is the big, that's the big one on the horizon, maybe on the horizon. There's even a guy at MIT, a researcher at MIT, who wants this technology in our cell phones. So mm. he wants our cell phones to be able to kind of keep track of our, of our scent, of our VOCs. And if there comes one that has been known to be associated with cancer, then it will ask us to go see the doctor. So he, he's not saying when that might happen, but uh, he's at MIT and he's doing some great research with dog, the dogs in England, actually, and mm -hmm. some, some other entities. So that's the cancer portion. But um, let's talk about just in homes. Maybe one day they'll discover what the scent of these uh, of the low blood sugar is. They've they thought they've isolated it a couple of times, but it doesn't really look like they've got it. But once they get the, let's say, the compound that the dog is sniffing or a pattern of volatile organic compounds, then they can make a device that can be, you know, even ahead of technology. So, but you know what? People love having their dogs around them. And that for, for someone with diabetes or seizures or something, and I, I discuss mental health a lot in the book as well, dogs, you know, they get them out, as you discussed in the beginning, for exercise. They, they, they keep them from being isolated because they have to take them out and they're a built-in best friend. So there's a lot more to it. Yes, it's, it would be lovely to have better technology for some of uh, the illnesses that I discuss in the book, but there's there's also something quite wonderful about having a dog who's so attuned to you and, and really caring for you. The dogs that do the sniffing out for something like cancer or, or diabetes or Parkinson's, the things you've been talking about, does there have to be a bond, a relationship between the dog and the patient, or, or are these dogs able to do it on, on an almost random basis? Uh, the, the bond really does need to be there. Uh, they, they can do it. They, when they meet the people, they have to, in, in some cases, they have to perform to a certain level of accuracy. And this is just in the beginning for them to be able to pass through the tests that the organizations that train them want them, need them to be able to do. But then that bond forms and it becomes much more than, oh, I sniff your uh, seizure coming on, I get a treat. I sniff your paralysis that's about to happen, that you're about to drop, um, I get a treat. It becomes a much, it, it, you know, at the risk of anthropomorphizing, 
everybody I've spoken with, every dog I've seen do this work, really, the dogs care for the people. The dogs love the people. The people love the dogs. Just as I love my dog, and I know he loves me. Yeah. I don't care if it's scientific or not. There's a bond there, and they work for that bond. And, you know, even in in the research settings, it's it's more about the fun but that the dogs have. The dogs get treats. They do this, but they do come to, you know, really enjoy being with the trainers and want to work for them. But the trainers aren't usually the people. They're people. They're the people they live with, or the owners, ostensibly, as, as we say. But they are really, they just want to do the work. They're happy. But in the homes, these dogs live for the people. And, mm-hmm. and oftentimes, like this a young man I wrote about with diabetes in Northern California, Santa Rosa, he's actually, I mean, in Ukiah, he's actually moved on to college now. But his dog, when he leaves and leaves the dog behind for you know, various reasons, the dog just pines away at the door for him the whole time. Oh. Eventually she might go down and, you know, and sleep a little bit, but she just, she wants to be with him. She's his, his best friend. She's like a second mother, a nurse, and just that's, that's her baby and, and that's her guy. And she wants to, and it's across the board. I've seen this and the bond, it just develops and grows throughout the years. How has the medical community, the medical establishment, responded to these talents on the part of the dogs? It's pretty accepting, actually. Um, the it's it's becoming more known among the medical community. I've I've talked to a number of doctors who say I've suggested that uh, my patient look into getting a dog for this or that illness. Um, and it's happening more and more in, in, with psychiatric, in psychiatric settings as well. Um, psychologists and uh, mental health professionals are suggesting dogs for people with PTSD, depression, anxiety. Dogs can be, can be trained to mitigate these to an extent, and not just by being a dog. By, um, they, they can, some dogs are actually trained by scent. This is rare, but a new thing. By scent to tell if someone is going to... Um, have a panic attack um, or anxiety. There's a woman in the Midwest who trains dogs. She's a researcher as well. She's training dogs. She has a refrigerator full of emotions. So she has these stocked with people, the saliva samples and the sweat samples of people going through various emotions. And she trains the dogs on these. Um, dogs can do this on their own usually, but this is just a step ahead. So the dogs know, okay, this is the behavior I need to do to help that scent go away to, to help this person feel better. And of course, eventually they just get to know the person and can tell um, even without scent training. Uh, so PTSD, anxiety, there's even a woman, a young woman I interviewed who has very bad schizophrenia with hallucinations and her dog, just by being there and not greeting the hallucinations as he would greet anyone, mm-hmm. is able to help her separate reality from fantasy, so uh, from fantasy, from hallucination, from terrifying hallucinations. So she, she gets that benefit from him just being a dog as well. Wow. And he also has been trained to keep her from cutting herself and to snuggle in wow. when she's getting anxious. So it's, it's incredible, really, uh, for mental and physical health that the do- doctors seem to be pretty pretty interested in this. In fact, um, I've talked to some of my own doctors about the cancer research aspect of the dogs, and they get so excited when, when we discuss it because they say, I've been reading about that, and it would be so great if we could have a test, say, early test for ovarian cancer, and if it's dogs who are doing it or based on the dogs, all the more power to them. So maybe it's not everybody, but I'm in a pretty supportive community around this. So it, across the board, that's been my experience. How complicated is the training process for this with respect to the dogs? Yeah, it's a 
depends on the what they're looking for, but in general, it's kind of the same. They they train the dog on this scent. The dog gets rewarded when the dog acknowledges the scent, and just just like even it starts out with just even putting his or her nose on a test tube that has the scent and then they'll have another test tube and that doesn't have the scent and the dog doesn't get rewarded when it touches that test tube but does get rewarded when it like looks at the other one eventually they get to know that that scent uh is and doesn't have to be in a test tube it can just be on a piece of gauze or whatever that scent makes your life really good because that scent gives you a treat gets you praise and reward and love and they start then um, adding other scents to it, and they don't get rewarded when they alert to the other scents, and then, then it just becomes that scent. Now, it sounds easy, but in cases like, uh, let's say the malaria, for instance, uh, the researchers found that the dogs were alerting to the scent of the schools from which the the socks were taken from, you know, the, the children wore the socks overnight, and they were two different schools, and the, the dogs were alerting to the differences in the schools because that scent to them was stronger than the scent of malaria because that was the first time they'd been um, exposed to the scent of malaria or the schools. So the researchers had to figure out how to get around that. So they, they, they finally figured out, okay, this is how we get them to alert to the malaria. But that was a little bit of a, an obstacle. So, um, and, and more and more we're learning best practices. For instance, we shed a whole bunch of skin cells all the time. And sometimes dogs might alert to the skin cells of the person who is preparing the sample. So they've had to be really careful. And um, the researchers, researchers are learning all the time, you know, how to really, really fine-tune this. But the dogs get it. And if there is a scent, the dogs get it. You know, their sense of smell is so vivid and alive. It's kind of like our sense of sight. And one researcher I talked to says, dogs smell in color. And of course, that's not really <laughs> true, but you get the idea of how vivid that is for them. And it's easy for them once they get it, once they figure out, they have that aha moment of, oh, this is what I'm smelling, or this is the pattern of what I'm, I need to smell. Then they, 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 they get it. And they're not 100%, which is why, you know, I like to say dogs are only human, which is another reason <laughs> they're not going to be used in laboratories and, and in, the, in your doctor's offices, because they need to be more accurate um, if they're going to diagnose someone with cancer. So that's why they're looking at the technology as well. Maria Goodavage, her book is Dr. Dogs, How Our Best Friends Are Becoming Our Best Medicine. Maria, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you. It was great talking with you. Thank you.